All right, you may be seated. Um, let me get situated here because everything's shut down for some reason. We don't want that. Um, I'm going to start a little different tonight, today, whatever it is, sun shining outside. Um, it is such an honor to be here. I, it really is. Like Kyle said, we have been developing this relationship for a little over two years. And um, the last year, it's really intensified, a lot more conversations. And I want to tell you, this is a real deal man. This is, he's real in his pursuit. He's real in his leadership. He's real in his, in his humility and in his boldness. And we need to understand that boldness and humility are not contrary to each other. They flow out of each other. You can't have true boldness without sincere humility. And what humility is, is simply believing what God says about you and not arguing with him about it. Come on. Because if you begin to think you know something about God that's different than what God says about you, that's not humility. It's the opposite of humility. It's pride. And in the church, we often look at people that are shrinking back from who they really are and we think that's being humble. How many times have we made apologies for who we are? Or the counter of that is we begin to project it to force people to understand who we are instead of just being. Is this making sense to you? See, we got to get out of all this performance orientation, fear of man stuff. And it is over the region. And I think that's why I'm going here. It's not, and when I'm talking region, I'm not talking just Savannah. I mean, I'm in metro Atlanta. Give me a break. I mean, we, we've got it going, right? I mean, it, it's of all kinds. Exactly right. But when you see somebody that has an authentic sound... You're, everything on the inside of you just goes, yeah. It's like you, there's a peace and a settledness that comes on the inside of you when you hear an authentic sound. You don't feel threatened by it unless you're living in sin and their authenticity challenges you. Okay? You don't feel insecure around it. It brings a security because... They're secure, especially when it's your leader. There needs to be a security. Now, some of this comes out of me walking out of my own insecurities. Let's get real, folks. Isn't that how we come to stuff? Is we walk out of our own. It's an ongoing journey. <laughs> but anyway, during worship, open up for me. Yes, thank you. Um, by the way, worship team, y'all are absolutely amazing. Oh, my goodness. Wow. What a sound coming out of this team. Every single one on the team. It's not like you've got one voice that's strong. You've got a whole team, and you've got instruments that are. There's just such a unified sound. But during worship... If y'all saw me picking up my phone, I was not texting. I was not doing something other. I did record a little bit of worship and post it. But Holy Spirit began speaking. And I want to release what I heard over this region. I'm going to read part of it, and we'll see where we go from there. 
The sound of the Lord being released through the prophetic voice of the ecclesia is causing the dry bones of religion to shake, rattle, and roll. There is a shaking that is causing those things that looked twice dead. I heard that very specifically. That looked twice dead to come alive by the power and the presence of the hovering presence of my spirit. Watch, speak, prophesy, decree. Stand, do not relent. I am blowing my breath over this region and what has been dead and thought to have been beyond hope is coming up out of the grave with the power of my life exploding forth. Somebody ought to shout on that one. Then he said, what the enemy has meant for evil in this region is defeated. And I am turning it around for my glory and your good. Now, I'm going I'm to speak into that word for just a minute. When God says the enemy has been, that has been intended for evil, he's been defeated, you better stand on that word. Because what the enemy will do in the days ahead will throw everything at you that he can throw at you to convince you that he isn't over. And you just tell him, you're a defeated foe. You're done. But that's a warfare strategy for you to take it because God said, I've already defeated him. This thing's turning around. Then he said, I have opened a portal over you this day in a greater dimension. I am pouring out my spirit upon you, upon your sons and daughters, and a fresh wind of prophetic grace is coming upon you to hear the heart of the Lord, and then with confidence you will decree a thing and you shall see it manifested and quickly, says the Lord. I heard the Lord very clearly last night and again this morning say, there is a new prophetic grace coming into this house. And there is a call for the training of the prophetic voice to come out with a greater clarity, to teach people how to listen for the heart of God and then to articulate in an order that will release strategy into this house. You've got a prophetic grace. And I even heard this over the worship team today. There were moments where I could hear that prophetic sound about to explode. And I just decree over you that your musicians are about to turn into psalmist. And what I mean by that is they're going to begin to sing and play what they hear out of heaven. There will be new songs that come out of this house. There will be new rhythms that come out of this house because there is a psalmist, prophetic psalmist anointing that God is pouring into this house that will take you into a dimension in the spirit that the sound coming out of here will shift the region in the spirit realm. You won't necessarily see it right away, but as you consistently do and release what heaven is releasing, you will begin to see things shift. But there is a mantle in this house to take you into a new dimension. 
That prophetic grace is coming alive. Hallelujah. That will help your ecclesia go to another level. And the one thing, before I even get into the one more thing. On the first fruits Wednesdays, I heard the Lord say this. As you shift into honoring the first of every month in alignment with the Hebraic calendar, there will be an explosion of advancement because you're in God's time. When you come into God's time, into God's rhythm, month after month, season after season, year after year, it will unlock what he is doing and you will step in to what he is doing in the earth realm. And I believe you're already moving into it just by the sensing of moving of Holy Spirit. When I discovered this, I realized I've been doing this and didn't know what I was doing. So you're already doing it, but it puts definition and it brings a corporateness into the movement so you're moving together. Begin to celebrate the feast. I know you already are. Take it to another dimension. Take advantage of plugging into some of the people that we're aligned with and listen to what they're doing on the feast and on the months. Because as you get it into your DNA, it will break the power of religion off of you. And we're all coming out of religion. (laughs) The state is coming out of religion. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I am so grateful. So um, let me just pray for us, and I want to get into this word for today. Father, I thank you for this house. I thank you for Relentless. I thank, thank you for Kyle and this mighty group of people here. Lord, you're doing an amazing thing. This city has been crying out for the authentic been crying out and there's been a cry in the spirit for the true apostolic to arise that is full of honor full of the word of God full of the spirit of God and I believe you have found a place right here and that it won't be the only one but God it is one and it is significant and I just pray that you would bring this house into a greater dimension of alignment with your purposes and an alignment with each other and alignment with the apostolic, the fivefold order that you are releasing in the earth today and that there would be such a oneness of spirit in this house that it would cause a drawing of pulling in the things that are needed, pulling in the finances, pulling in the people and the gifts and the talents because there is a sound that comes out that is a wooing not of the flesh but of the spirit. So, Lord, release it over this house. And, God, as I bring this teaching, Lord, I ask that it would be what you want it to be, that I would add in, take out, do whatever you want, that you take the preparation, the study, the prayer, the the learning over the years that I have put into this, and you would cause it to come out in a way today that is for this company of people in order that they might advance for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So today we're we're talking about the corporate armor of God. So I'm going to start... 
on a journey that I went on to set this up. And a number of years ago, the Lord began talking to me about the armor of God. I was actually going on vacation with my husband and about to take a nap. And God says, I want to talk to you about the armor of God. And I went, I really want a nap. But I knew he was speaking. And, um, you know, we all know about putting on the armor, right? I mean, we've all done it. Sometimes we've gotten religious in it. Anybody else gotten religious in? You know, get up before your feet put, hit the ground. you got to put your armor on, and you go through this whole route. And I'm not saying that's bad, but it can become very religious. Let me tell you something about the enemy in nighttime. You better not take your armor, your armor off. Just, just sleep in it. Just keep it on. Put it on. Keep yourself aligned with God and, and don't. Anyway, so he said, I want to talk to you about the corporate armor of God. And I said, God, I've never heard anybody talk about the armor being corporate. And he said, well, my body needs to be armored together for protection, advancement, and conquest. Armored together. And he asked me this question. He said, is not the book of Ephesians written to the church in Ephesus? It was written to the body. It was written to all of the believers that gathered in a city. Now, they gathered in a lot of different houses, but they were referred to as the church in Ephesus, right? So there's a corporiety about it. There is a oneness about it. It is written to, to communicate how the church is to operate and how it is to function. It is one of the books that when you're studying and you're looking at how to lead a church, it's the book they say, go read. Study it out. Because you will see how the, the body is supposed to function by reading the book of Ephesians. It was written to the church. It was understood as a corporate message. It speaks of the government of the ecclesia. And we'll get back to the ecclesia in a minute. But there is a governmental aspect. And I really get a little angst in my spirit. Can I, is it okay if I get a little angst in my spirit? When I hear people say, I am the church. No, you're not. You're a part of the church. You yourself are not. Because the very idea of church all the way through scripture is multi-membered. It's multifaceted. It's multi-components. It's bunches of parts. I'm not the church. I'm a member. I'm a shareholder. That's the word we use because you're sharing in the vision. I am a living stone. I'm a body part. I'm a family member, right? I'm a part of the assembly of the ecclesia. But by myself, I'm not. But when I gather with others, I am. We are. So a lot of the songs that we even sing, our team will take the I am songs and go, we are. Because I'm trying to shift our mindset from our Americanized individuality, independence. Can I just say it that way? It's individuality. It's an extreme individuality that everything is about me. The church has addressed us completely as get an individual saved, which is where we all start. But that's not where we end. 
I know I'm challenging all kinds of religious spirits. I'm seeing them fly all over the place. But I'm just going to go for it. Because we have got to get out of this mentality that it's all about me. We've got to shift out of this mentality of the story is over if a brother gets saved. That's a baby getting born. I mean, how many of you have children? Was the day your baby born the end of the journey? <laughs> what about the 3 a.m. feedings and the, you know, first time you give them their car keys? I mean, there's a journey and a move from being totally dependent upon mom and dad to becoming those that walk with. It's, it's a, the family is such a picture of the way God wants us progressing as we move together. And we're all in different seasons, and we have to learn how to relate to each other based on that journey that we're on. But the problem, if we think it's okay if it's, you just got born again and there's no movement forward, we end up with a lot of 30, 40, 50-year-old people and I'm not talking their age chronologically. I'm talking about their age since they got born again that are still in diapers. I told you I'm in one of those feisty moods today. Because we've got to grow up. I mean, Jesus is coming back someday, right? He's not snatching us out of a mess. I know, I'm hitting the religious spirits again. It's all right. Jesus is coming back for a bride that is pure and spotless and without defilement, that is ruling, reigning, and is like him. I don't know why I'm on this one, but I'm going to go here. The Lord said to me one time, he said, do you think I'm coming back for a bride that is of a lesser species than my son? I went, ouch. Ouch. I mean, that was like, whoa. But if God is sending back his son for a bride, he is not sending him to come for a bride that is less than him. He is coming for a bride that is a match for him. So grow us up, God. We submit to the process. We want to mature. We want to be one. That Jesus goes, I can't wait to get back for the bride. Because we're doing what he does. We're operating on earth like he's operating in heaven. We're moving with the faith that he has given us. We're believing what he says. We're not doubting. We're not questioning. We believe what, who he says we are. We believe who he says we are. You have to believe who he says you are, but then we have to believe who he says we are. We have the spirit of the very living God inside of us. And when we are moving together as one, and we come into the power of agreement, our prayers, our declarations and decrees can defeat any demonic power that is out there. It is not stronger than us. 
Part of the reason we're in the mess we're in right now is because we've believed he was stronger than us. God forgive us. I'm all over the place. It's all good. So the Lord asked me this question. He said, if the book of Ephesians was written to the corporate body, why do you always take the armor as personal? God has this way of asking me zinger questions. Now, see, I'm not saying we don't take the armor personally. It's a both and. We need to know that we are fully armored with the armor of God. It's God's armor. It's God's protection. His truth is our protection. His righteousness is our protection. His peace is our protection. His faith is our protection. His salvation is our protection. And his word is our sword to advance. We need that individually because when you are fighting in your home for one of your children, you better be armored. Because there is an individual aspect to everything that, we, that I'm going to talk about today. But I am on a passionate pursuit of seeing us move from just being individual to being corporate. Because when we understand the strength of the individual of what God has called us to be as individuals. And we bring that into the power of the corporate. There is no gate of hell that can come against us. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That was to them together. It was to the church. It was to the ecclesia. There is this togetherness. Let me just do this real quickly. Think about this thing. The places God in the scripture talks about who we are as the church. Matthew 16, ecclesia. Ecclesia, the coming together, the called out ones to be assembled for the purpose of government, for the purpose of legislation. We do come together as family, which is another aspect of our unity, right? We come together as family. In fact, when we come to Christ, we come to Father through Jesus. We're adopted into the family. It's where we start, It's where we have our confidence and our security. It's where the healing comes. Because in our day and age, many people have been so wounded in family that you start talking Father God and they're running. And understandably, because of what so many have been through. I've been at this long enough. I've had to sit with some people who have incredible father and mother wounds. But when they can begin to see God the Father and his amazing love, then the healing begins to flow. So God comes and welcomes us into family. Then he positions us as we begin to move and discover who we are. We get positioned as parts of the body. Because both in Corinthians and in Romans, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, it talks about us being many, the many-membered parts of the body. That we're all members. We all carry a function. But if a part of the body is out of alignment, like my shoulder is really quite a mess today. It's not functioning. That's why I'm using my left hand. It's hurting. God's greater. 
I'm pressing through. Okay? But my point is when my shoulder is out, because I probably slept on it wrong or something, right? Then there, there's ramifications for the rest of my body. A number of years ago, broken ankle. Guess what? There was a lot of ramifications through the rest of my body. We need all of the members of the body functioning and healthy. Because when we're all functioning and healthy, the whole body is stronger. The whole body is able to do things that it can't do if it's got a broken part. The broader body of Christ has got a lot of broken parts. It's got a lot of parts that are out of socket. It's got a lot of parts that are dismembered, not properly connected where God's assigned them to be. So you can't choose where you fit in the body. He chooses. That's why church hopping and looking to see, well, I like this, I don't like that. Oh, they've got a great children. Oh, they don't have children's ministry. Oh, I like their worship. Yeah, I don't like their worship so much. Uh, you know, I like it when he teaches this, but I don't like it when he teaches that. And God said, be there. And you go, but I don't like it. Can I tell you a quick story? 1993, end of 92, I was leading a college ministry. Actually, the college ministry itself is larger than my church. Um, we had about 120 kids in our college department. And revival was breaking out among these kids. And God said, it's time for you to go to a land you don't know. And I went, okay. <laughs> so much confirmation about what we were supposed to do. And so we left and, you know, we're like, where, God, where are we going? He goes, I'll show you. When you walk in, I'll tell you. Walked into this church and I had been spirit-filled for a number of years. I was coming out of a denominational church, and I was ready to go to a full-blown, give-me-the-Holy-Spirit place. And we ended up in a denominational church that had roots with A.B. Simpson and the move of God from the late 1800s, early 1900s with healing, with signs, wonders, miracles, all kinds of things. But I walked into this church. There's no worship team. It's a choir that honestly wasn't very good. <laughs> I'm just being real vulnerable with y'all. And I would leave in tears. And God would say, go back. And I would leave. I would just, I would sit in my room after getting ready on Sunday morning and pray. I had a rocking chair in my room at the time and I would sit there and mock God, really? And he said, go. And we would go, and I'd come out, and I'd cry again. <laughs> and one day, I dropped my kids off at school, and um, he said, drive to the parking lot of, of the church. And I knew I was about to get a talking to. God ever talked to y'all like that? So I drive to the parking lot of this church. I park the car, and he says, you see that building right there? And he had me in front of the education building, like where Sunday school and women's teachings and all this stuff. 
And he said, I have a job for you to do in there. And it's not limited to here, but you need to be here. And I said, okay. And so we stepped in. And then a few weeks later, I started hearing the pastor talk about A.B. Simpson. And I, I'm like, God, what I'm experiencing here is not what I've read about A.B. Simpson. Because I had read all of his books once I got spirit-filled. Amazing, moving of the Holy Spirit in this man. And he said, that's why you're here. I said, what? He goes, I want to use you in your prayers to return them to their roots. Well, within a couple of weeks after that, no kidding, the pastor had already come to me and said, I discern that you're an intercessor. I need you a part of the intercessory team. I never said a word. He discerned it. So I became a part of the intercessory team. And then within a couple of weeks after God said that to me about to return to their roots, I was getting calls from the national office with their missionaries asking me for prayer strategies for some of their missionaries that were in trouble. And God began to move me into a position from being an intercessor to being positioned with influence, not because I sought it, but because he said, this is what I need you to do. And that whole season that started with me crying and resisting became the platform, the positioning of training, equipping to launch. And I'm still in relationship with them now. Was a part of birthing a ministry that's around the world. But see, you've got, when you are where God tells you to be as a part of the body, you have no idea where that positioning can position you for in the future that you can't see yet. And a lot of times we're chasing what God has shown us that we will be or what we will do, and we're resisting the actual positioning that will get us there. I have no idea why that came up, but I feel like it is a word of the Lord for this house and for people in this region. Because we run around looking for who will acknowledge me and put me into place. Submit. Walk it out faithfully. Don't wave your own flag. God's really good at waving your flag. God's really good at putting a light over your head. God's really good at having a phone call come to those in leadership. And they say, we need you to come to this. And they go... This is what happened to me. The pastor said, I'm not the one supposed to be there. Jackie is and sent me. You see, God will do a lot with you when you get yourself positioned where he says to be positioned. So it's a part of this corporate. It's a part of coming into an alignment with God's purposes. Coming into an alignment with the assignment that God has given you for your life. And he will use people that you don't necessarily always like to get you where you need to be. And he will put you through some tests, but they're all good. They're good. They're not always good in the process, but they're good. So we've got to learn how to function as the body, as the family. We also have to know that corporately we are the temple of the living God. We are 
the temple of the living God. Is that not amazing? I mean, let that settle in. That God says, you, and I'm going to say it this way, y'all. Because that you is not singular, it's plural. So when we come together, the Holy Spirit that fills us individually, and we come together and all the living stones click in together, we become the habitation of the dwelling of the Lord. Now, here's what I really believe God is wanting to do with the church, with all of us. When we come together as living stones and his presence and his glory, like I began to see today of the portal opening and his glory settles in and dwells here, there is a draw out into the community that the glory of God just pulls people. And it's not about pulling them to relentless. It's about pulling them to Christ. Part of my prayer for the last 30 years has been, God, let your church, and I'm not talking one location, but your church, be so filled with your glory that those driving down the street pull in and can't resist. And that we are then out of that place of tabernacling with the Lord. We are so saturated with glory that when we walk out, we're carrying glory on us that causes an attraction to come to us so that we have the favor with even unbelievers and those that would otherwise be opposed to us. We have favor to speak life into them. It's glory that does that. God's releasing a greater hunger for glory. He's releasing a preparation of us. God, make us carriers of glory. I don't want to be a carrier of religion. I want to be a carrier of glory. I think that's what was happening with Peter when he's walking through the town and his shadow falls on somebody. It wasn't Peter's shadow. It was glory. And if Peter could, why not us? I mean, Moses went into the Holy of Holies. He went in into the temple of meeting. He comes out and the people say, cover your face. I'd love for somebody to tell me, cover your face. (laughs) Because we have a greater glory. We have a greater glory. I move on. I can, I can talk about the corporate body because it is such a passion in me. And I believe that's what God's wanting to see released in the earth today. But let's look at the armor for a minute as corporate. Ephesians 6 talks about put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Let your loins be girt about with the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Take, put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith whereby you may extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. How many has got some fiery darts we need extinguished, right? Take on and put on the helmet of salvation 
helmet of salvation so that we think right. And then take up the sword of the Spirit and with all prayer. I just went through it instead of taking the time. It's Ephesians 6. Go and read and study that. Understand what it is for you personally. But I want to break down for us how this operates from a corporate standpoint. Because what the Lord did with me on that flight was he said, I want to talk to you about corporate, right? So he took me and I read Ephesians 6. Then he switched me over and he said, I want you to read Ephesians 4. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 in New American Standard. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. How many of you want to go into the fullness of Christ? We're not there yet. Therefore, we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? How many of you were taught apostles and prophets didn't exist today? Most of us. Me too. And I, I would look at this passage and I would go, God, people are telling me those don't exist, but we're not here yet. We're not mature yet. We're not who you said we were to be. So if you said that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were necessary until we come into, then we're missing two vitally important pieces, Right? But God has restored. Hallelujah. So what he said, he said, I want you to see something. That the fivefold ministry of warfare. That we're fully armored as the body of Christ. The belt of truth represents the apostle. I'm going to break these down in a minute. The breastplate of righteousness the prophet, the shoes of the preparation of peace, guess it, the evangelist, the shield of faith, the pastor or the shepherd, the helmet of salvation, the teacher, and the sword of the spirit, the body together takes up the word as a weapon of warfare. The belt of truth represents that apostolic function. When we are aligned apostolically, the apostles and the apostolic ministry will guard the foundations of truth. I am a tenacious fighter for truth. If I hear something that is deception, I will go after it like a bulldog in order to protect what that enemy is coming after. Because the problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived. And so we've got to have people around us who know truth and that are willing in love to come to us and say, you know, I heard you say this, but that really doesn't line up with truth with the Word of God. I mean, I'm watching while we're eating breakfast this morning, they had MSNBC on. And I'm going, somebody needs to take a bat of truth. 
a bat of truth. <laughs> because it wasn't truth. I mean, there were so many lies being propagated, and I'm like, really? And I was just reading the headlines because I couldn't hear it. Praise God. But the apostolic will guard truth. It will make sure that we are moving in truth that is biblical and kingdom. Most of us that have grown up in church, we're not taught kingdom. We were taught church. Everything was about coming into the church. The church is a part of the kingdom, but kingdom is not church. We've got to get this straight. We have moved into a time of God is restoring kingdom. And kingdom means government. A lot of times when we think church, we think fellowship. We think good worship, which I love and can be, that can also be government. But a lot of times in a lot of church mentality, worship is make me feel good. Worship is more about me than it is about him. Worship is, oh, well, I've been to worship, so I feel good, and I'll go home and do whatever I want to do. Because it isn't life-changing. But when we begin to shift from the fellowship or just the worship gatherings, and we shift out of this sheep in a sheep pen, where, well, the shepherd's going to take care of my needs, that's not apostolic. It's not really biblical shepherd. I'll get there in a minute. Because God is saying, I want you to understand that I am a king of the domain. And all the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Washington, D.C. is the Lord's. There are squatters in there right now. Fueled by hell, warring against the righteous roots of this nation. We have greater authority than they do. And it's time we use it. But you've got to have an apostolic kingdom understanding that we have that. Otherwise, you just shrink back and, well, it's getting worse and worse. And I know it's going to get worse and worse. And Jesus is going to come back and get us. He's not rescuing you out of a mess. He's saying, rise up and be the authority to shift the mess. We're in a mess because we didn't understand this. We shrunk back. We said, well, you know, we got to get along. Get rid of the get along beast. Get rid of it. We've got to get over this stuff. Quit taking it's just the way it is, and we've got to tolerate everything. I don't tolerate evil. We have to learn to hate what God hates. Let me say this. Well, you cannot love what God loves if you don't hate what God hates. Not possible. Quit compromising. I'm speaking that in the atmosphere because I know that's not any of you. The apostolic also girds the loins, speaking of girding the, re the reproduction, always looking for those that are following after us. Always looking to the different age groups, always looking to the generations. 
The scripture says that David served his generation and then he slept or he died. A generation is everybody who is alive at one time. See, it is the enemy that has sought to separate us by age groups. And often we would hear it say of I'm one generation and Kyle's another generation. Uh Uh-uh, that's the devil's ploy. We are one generation. We are one family. We are set in the earth to serve this generation well. Now, in all likelihood, Kyle's going to outlive me because I'm old enough to be his mother. Okay? Yes, I am. I've got a (laughs) 39-year-old. So, yeah. Okay? So, I'm old enough to be his mother, and he will likely... God's grace, mercy, going to outlive me. Which means the generation we're serving together, he becomes that peace that carries it to the next. Does that make sense? So there's not a stop and a move. It is a continuum. And what we are doing in this generation, all of us together, we're building a strength and a platform for those that come after us to go from glory to glory to glory. We have to start thinking generationally. We have to start thinking hundreds of years down the road, not just the length of my life. Because we've got to see beyond. When they would build the old cathedrals in Europe... They started with planting trees that would not be ready for harvesting for 300 years. Now, is that not a vision? We have to have this kind of vision. So we've got to look to the future. The apostolic provides foundations of wisdom. Wisdom to guide us in advancing. Now, the good side of the apostolic is we operate with a strong mantle of wisdom. It's part of the the whole mantle of the apostolic. The danger with operating in the wisdom is that if you don't have revelation coming with it, you become an old wineskin very quickly. But if you just are operating in revelation, you can be loosey-goosey and flying all over the place and accomplishing and building nothing. So it's the wisdom and revelation that have to move together, the apostolic strength is to bring in the wisdom. The apostolic also fathers in order to mature the faith and the function of those that they are assigned to be an apostle to. And that is not, fathering is not a gender issue. It is an assignment issue of the Lord. I father our house. I do it with the mother heart, but I'm in the position of fathering. And I'm okay with that. It took me a while to get okay with that. And I tell the men in our house that are connected with me, it takes a strong man to be in a house led by a woman. It's not weak men. Weak men can't do it because they feel their masculinity is being challenged. I celebrate it. I celebrate the men. I raised three sons. I had to be strong. (laughs) Because when you raise three sons that are within five years of each other, and they're all (laughs) strong-willed, you better be strong, right? So I learned how. I always thought I'd have girls because I like frilly, fun things, right? 
And God said, no, I needed you to have sons so that you could be the leader I called you to be. And I had to learn to be competent in leadership. So the fathers will bring discipline, determination, perseverance, tenacity. We've got a father in the house. And it's not age. It's anointing. So you've got a father in the house. The apostle establishes a framework and a structure for effective, efficient function. I had a friend, a ministry friend out of Canada years ago who used to say, the church is really good at building systems and structures to contain the anointing, but the apostolic will build systems and structures as a platform for the anointing. We, that's what we do. We build systems and structures in order to get people moving where they need to be, free to be who they are, released to function as who God called you to be. The apostolic will mobilize the army of God, send you, sending the people of God out for strategic advancement. I heard this in this service earlier. It's time to advance. It's time to tear down those walls. It's time to shout. But where the shout has authority is when the apostle sends you out to shout. How many of you have driven around Savannah a bunch of times doing a Jericho shout? Has it accomplished much? Now, I I know I'm meddling a little bit. But part of that is because we've just thought, well, we read the story. It's a good idea. There was a shout in the room today. There was a shout in the room. That was right on today, but it was in an apostolic house that could release a shout. You see the difference? Sometimes we just do things because it's a good idea, and it's not that it's wrong. It just doesn't accomplish much. We're learning, so there's no condemnation, no rebuke in that. We're just learning, and God's saying, I've got grace for you to learn. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. That's part of that performance orientation stuff that we were raised with. At least I was. Then the uh, prophet with the breastplate of righteousness. How many of you received prophetic words from somebody? Did those prophetic words point you toward greater measures of righteousness? Every time. And it doesn't matter what the word was. The deal is, it's pointing you into a greater measure of right standing with God. And where we have right standing with God is when we're aligning with God's will, God's purposes, and God's ways. And the prophet always will point you toward righteousness. See, when a prophet comes along to, with Kyle and says, I called you to plant relentless, okay, now, I don't know that even happened. I'm using it as an example. What that did is it stirred something in him that was of the righteousness of God for him to fulfill his purpose and destiny. It wasn't about confronting a sin. It was about calling him into the right standing that God had for him in the earth. We've got to understand righteousness. It's what it, the... As the prophets work together, they're watching over territories. They're watching to see what is God doing. And a lot of times prophets are prophesying more what the devil is doing 
than what God is doing. I really don't care what the devil is doing unless God tells me what the devil is doing. If he says, I want you to see this, to be aware, I want you to see this so you know how to advance, then I want to see it. But a lot of us that are prophetically gifted, it is easy to see the devil working. Because our discernment is heightened. Most of us have had encounters with demonic issues. We've seen, we've been, we see where the enemy is working. Can you, I mean, let's get real. Is it really hard to see where the enemy is working in some places in our nation right now? That's easy. So when I see where the devil is working, my deal is to say, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? What is it that you're saying about this? If this area is being inundated with crime, what are you saying that we need to do? What is your heart over that area? Why does the enemy have legal access to do that? What is the curse that's operating in the land? I, those are the prophetic questions I'm asking. I don't want to just go around telling everybody, well, the devil has a stronghold on the street. Well, yeah, we see that. What, God, what are you doing? What do you want us to do about it? How do you want us to move? I want to see deeper than the fruit that's on the land. I want to see the root. Only God can show you the root. Begin to look. Ask God, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Listen for the sound of the prophets. What is God doing? What is the enemy doing? And how does God want us to respond? Prophets will sound the alarm. Prophets will say, wake up, wake up, wake up, be aware, be on alert, come to attention. They will get you ready. Sound the alarm, call a solemn assembly from Joel. Was that just to get people to come together? It's like, no, you need to be prepared for what's coming. We began doing the 222 prayer calls about a year and a half. Actually, we started a long time ago, and then we stopped, and then we came back, and we began doing them every day. And then we began doing this, too. We were doing Tuesday nights, and then we went to every day. It's just like every time I turn around, I'm on a phone call for a prayer for the nation. It was the sound of a prophet saying, you've got to pray. You've got to come together. You've got to bring the synergy of agreement in order to shift the body of Christ. It's not just about shifting the nation right now. It's about shifting us. Sound the alarm. Release the revelation that's needed in the moment. Trumpet the heart of the Father. Reveal heaven's purposes, not just earth's. I'm going to prophesy this. God is not finished with America. God has a covenant with this land. He has not forsaken the covenant. That covenant is alive and well. It's been buried over. It's been trampled. It's had even believers cursing it. But we say no in the name of Jesus. We have to stand on what God has said, not what the enemy's doing. Stand firm on what the prophets are saying. 
The prophets will guard in issues of righteousness. They will protect against the entrance of the enemy. The, the prophets will begin to see where the enemy is setting a snare to trap God's people. And when you hear that sound of protection, you need to come closer into the Lord. When I see somebody that begins to go out on their own and the Holy Spirit says to me, they're going beyond the boundaries of their habitation. And I don't mean your dwelling. I don't mean your house. I mean beyond the place where God says, I've given you authority. There, we have boundaries. I will go and say, you need to pull back in. Because if you're out here when God said, stay here, and you're venturing into areas he has not given you authority to venture into, you can get bit, and I mean bit bad. You can get all kinds of attacks. And so we have to know what the boundaries are that God has set because he sets our boundaries in pleasant places. Pleasant places. They prepare the heart and the soul, releasing revelation to prepare for battle. We've all heard about the tabernacle of David, right? And a lot of times we think harp and bowl when we're thinking tabernacle of David because it was worship and intercession. Can I add an element? It's harp, bowl, and crown. David was king. There was the worship. There was the intercession. There were the scribes that would write down the revelation that was coming out of heaven prophetically that gave them the strategies of what to know how to move forward in warfare. It is a battle command station. It's not just to come and sit and soak in the presence of the Lord. It's a pursuit of the presence of the Lord and then a sending out with the word of the Lord. It's time for us to shift heart, bowl, and crown. We've, that's where the authority, that's where the ecclesia functions. That's how the prophets have their voice that releases a strategy so that the battle knows how to advance. Does that make sense? The prophets are the closest connection to the, to the apostles. Ephesians 2 talks about the foundation is laid upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They establish the order. They bring the wisdom and the revelation together. Then you go into the evangelist. You've got the shoes of the gospel of peace, the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's the evangelistic function. It's that that goes out and tramples upon serpents and scorpions and every evil thing. You've got to have your shoes, your feet prod with the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. When we go out, we are going into enemy territory, and you better be prepared. Because he guards the feet of your walk so that you are walking in the peace of God, and the peace of God will soon crush Satan under your feet. If you're not walking in the peace of God, and part of this is that you know that the peace of God is giving you confirmation for what you're doing. When something comes along, maybe an invitation to go somewhere or you're in a scenario or an opportunity or you're in a conversation with people out and you don't have peace to proceed, 
zip it and be quiet. Because God will lead you by peace. If you're unsettled, he's giving you a warning. I'll tell you a real quick story. I went in for a meeting with a a woman that I thought was a friend. There's a key, right? Um, She invited me to come to a meeting with her, and I had an uneasy feeling in my spirit. And, but I was really young in all this stuff, like a year or so into the Holy Spirit. I walked into this meeting for the next three hours. She absolutely chewed me up one side and down the other and tore me apart. And the Lord said to me after it was over, he said, I gave you a lack of peace about going into that meeting. When I give that to you, don't go. I learned a hard lesson that day. It was a tough, tough thing to walk through. God used it for good because I went to him and I said, what just happened here? And he said, I want to teach you some things. And I took a year to walk through everything she had said to me and said, God, was any part of this true? I wrote down everything she had said. Is this true? And I would wait. And sometimes he would say, no, toss it. That was not me at all. Then I would get to another one. He goes, it's not altogether true, but there's this part I want you to work on. And others were like, yeah, we got to work on this. And I took a year and said, Lord, I don't want to lose this battle. I don't want to lose this battle. Often when we get attacked like that, and I don't know why I'm going into this, but somebody needs this. When we get attacked, it's real easy to defend ourselves, to say that was just an attack of the devil, that was just this, that, or the other, and God's saying, no, it was, but don't waste this moment because I will do a work in you as you submit to that process that will give you a strength and an authority that you would not have otherwise. One of the last things she said to me in that is, if you don't do what I have told you that he told me you needed to do, he's going to put you on a shelf and never use you for anything. I mean, it was a word curse. That was 30 years ago. And I believe that It's not that what she said was true, but if I had not allowed Holy Spirit to do what he needed to do in me, it could have been true. We have to allow those, even the wounds of a friend, to be used to fashion us into who he wants us to be. So the evangelist will prepare you, will give you the power of God of peace to crush Satan under your feet. It protects us when we move out on assignment. So when the evangelist is functioning as a part of the fivefold in the house and you're sent out on evangelistic outreaches, there is a protection that comes. And I know this house is called into outreach. Y'all go. It's not what you do. It's who you are. I saw that on, your, on one of your announcements. It's who you are. The power of that is being sent and prepared by those that carry that evangelistic mantle 
that are able to give you the training and the impartation of authority to move out. I said this last night, and I believe this with all my heart. We need an activation of men and women with that evangelistic anointing to go sit by some wells with some women at the well. Read their mail with love in your heart, and then they go and win a whole village. That's what Jesus did. Is he not our example? But that's what God is calling us to move. It takes the wisdom and the revelation to go out in the streets. You can't just go. I see some people just go, and I'm thinking, whoo. That may be boldness that's not wisdom. And I've seen some people get really hurt by going where God didn't send them to go. They just went. And it's not a bad motivation. But it's a growing up in maturity. I'm just, the armor deal is about us growing into maturity. The evangelists are the frontline warriors. We need some more, don't we? But the frontline warriors need to be connected in with the fullness of the fivefold. The evangelists need to be connected to the apostles and the prophets so they have the wisdom and the revelation on how to move forward. And so that they're protected. They have a place of accountability. They have a place of relationship. They have a place so when they got, get tired and worn out from being out on the road in evangelism, that they have a place that it is safe to come and be still and be refilled. You cannot wear yourself out. Well, you can. It's not God's way. The evangelists will always have a house advancing into new territories. They always want you stretching out into a new place that hasn't been reached with the gospel. When they partner with the apostle, the evangelist says, I see this area over here needs to get reached. You connect in with an apostolic leader, and all of a sudden you've got a and the prophets, and you've got wisdom and strategy on how to go and penetrate that area. And that's what we've got to have. How do you advance? You get a strategy to advance. You hear what God is saying and you advance. And then they have to be that connected piece so that there is an authority to go forth in advance. Moving forward. Then you go to the shepherd. And we know the shepherds probably better than anything because most of the churches have been led by pastors. And we've wanted to keep the sheep in the sheep pen. Keep them safe. Well, the deal is a shepherd is to, when you're under an attack, they lift up the shield of faith when you can't. Anybody else had moments when you could not lift up your own shield of faith because you're just absolutely worn out? That's when a shepherd comes around. Our um, electric guitar player died on Friday evening. And um, he had just come to the Lord about four years ago just filled with joy. We, uh, an old rocker. I mean, we called him Cy. He looked, you know what I'm talking about with Cy? With, yeah. I mean, that's what he looked like. We love him. I mean, and he got saved and just beaming with the Lord. He'd walk in. I just love it here. I just love it. I really do. I mean, every time he'd walk in the door, that's what he would say. Had lived a rough life, but God and so what did I do yesterday? Because I'm here. 
I called some of our pastors. And I said, would you go and visit his wife? Because she's got ALS. I mean, this is a sad story. But two of our pastor couples went, and they lifted up the shield of faith around her yesterday. They shielded her. They prayed for her. They blessed her. They loved on her. Because she can't lift it up herself. But that's what shepherds do. They brought a strength to her. That's what shepherds are supposed to do of guarding and shielding and protecting. Of seeing and warding off what's coming. I told this story last night. A lot of times the shepherds in our house will see the issues that are going on in the community, within the house, before I do. Because that word shepherd in the Old Testament is connected to seeing. And they will see the behaviors of the sheep that are diseased, the sheep that are rebellious, those that look like sheep that are really wolves. The shepherds will see them often before I do. So I tell my leadership, if you see diseased, biting, rebellious sheep or wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing that are biting and devouring people, you better come tell me because they will act all nice around me. I'm going to tell you, they will all act really good around Kyle. And he will think, oh, they're just fine. They're doing great. But then you're going to see them and you're going to go, did you know how they talked to so-and-so? Did you see how they treated? He needs to know that. Not as gossip. Don't go tell everybody else. Come tell him. Come tell him and say, I just want to let you know that I, this is what happened. It's one of the ways our pastors help me the most. Because it is an armor to guard the sheep. Because the enemy in an apostolic house will send in wolves that look like sheep in order to devour and to divide. It's what the enemy does. When people start sowing discord in Romans, at the very end of Romans it says, those who sow discord among the brethren have nothing to do with them. If I find people sowing discord, I, I deal with it quickly. And more quickly now, because I'm learning. Don't let that infection stay. Because it will pick off people. It'll hurt people. But that's where the pastors come in. The pastors are always looking at nurturing the body. They will hear me teach something, some of this kind of stuff, and they're like, okay, we've got to get this to practical with the people. That's what a shepherd will do. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get these groups going. And you take what I'm teaching because God's giving me the revelation and you break it down and help people live it. Because that's what shepherds are called to do. That's how it functions. It helps everybody move forward together. It's not a diminishing of anybody. It's just we've got to move it together. I shepherd our leaders. I don't shepherd everybody in the house. I can't. Not supposed to. I think that's part of the, the problem with the church where we have been is that we've had one person as a shepherd and they're supposed to do it all. 
It's not possible. It's just not possible. That's why we end up with a lot of lost sheep. But they will nurture, guard, and bring people to maturity. Shepherds, if you identify with this gift in this house, understand that in an apostolic house, your call is to shepherd people toward maturity, not to enable them to to stay in their dysfunction. If you can get that into your shepherds, because they will have the compassion to lead people into maturity. You don't want me doing that. Ask Sandra. I mean, really, it's not that I mean. It's just I'm like, come on, get over it. Let's go. Christ paid for it at the cross. Let's move. <laughs> Accept what he says. Let's go. And they're like, wait a minute. They got wounds in their heart. I'm like, okay, but you, you go deal with that, all right? <laughs> And I'm only partially kidding on that. I'm just doing it to make a point. I'm really not that bad. But the pastors have to be linked to the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist so that it's able to incorporate new disciples into the body of Christ and into the life of the church. And then the final one, teaching is the helmet of salvation. I mean, honestly, when God showed me all this, it was so logical. I'm like, why haven't we seen this before? I mean, it's just the pieces are in order. I mean, it's just like crazy to me. But anyway, but the helmet of salvation, the teaching function, establishes what we believe. It will guard the integrity of our faith. Part of what has got to happen in the body of Christ right now is we have to have a realignment of what we believe that is based on Bible. We have got to have a biblical worldview, a kingdom worldview. The church has so lost the solidity of what the word of God teaches that we have entire denominations embracing what God says is forbidden. When we have, in deno- when we have full denominations saying, It's okay, we'll do gay marriages, we've got a problem. We have entire denominations saying abortion is okay, we've got a problem. When we have entire denominations saying LGBTQ whatever is okay, we have a problem. When we have denominations saying we... A child is not determined male or female at birth. Wait until they tell you what they are. We've got a problem. Last time I checked, DNA evidence is pretty clear. But we've got to get this right. What does the Bible say? When we have a, a whole nation right now in the church, I'm not talking about the sinners that don't know any better. I'm talking about in the church that would embrace some of the political crazy that is going on right now, we've got a problem. When they're trying to get us to believe that we need an Equality Act, do you know what that Equality Act will do? It will take away our freedoms. We've got to have an understanding of what the Bible says. could go down that path I won't (sighs) 
The teacher will protect us against ungodly beliefs. I said this last night. I encourage you to ask Holy Spirit to cause a bell to go off on the inside of you every time you believe something that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Let Holy Spirit begin to train you. Give your leaders and those that are discipling you permission to say to you when you say something that doesn't line up with the Word of God, wait a minute, let's look at that. Does that line up with what God's Word says? Because we say some of the craziest stuff at times. We say stuff about ourselves, and the Word of God says, do you not know that you are the apple of my eye? That you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? That you are the head and not the tail? That you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ your Lord? That you are an overcomer? That you are victorious in all things? That you are filled with the very wisdom of God? That you have been given everything that you need for life and godliness? Everything that you need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus? That you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do signs, wonders, and exploits. And the very works that Jesus did, you will do greater works still. That is what the Word of God says about you. When you start saying things, I can't, that doesn't line up with what God says about you. You can do anything that He tells you to do. Now, you can't necessarily do anything He tells me to do. Or anything he tells Kyle to do. But you can do anything he tells you to do. There's the key. But the teacher will help you move into godly beliefs, not ungodly beliefs. It will protect you and bring you into a place of bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Bring those stray thoughts in. Bring those curses out of your past into obedience of Christ. When the enemy comes alongside you and says, you know, you remember what you did when you were 15? Believe it or not, in 60-something, God, the enemy will still do that at times. I just look at him and go, <laughs> thank you. You just gave me another reason to praise God because he's forgiven me and it is cast as far as the east is from the west and the sea of forgetfulness and it has no place, no authority, and no right to speak into me. Be gone. I'm telling you, stop him immediately. Don't let him bring up your junk out of the past. Your junk out of the past is buried. Saying, do it every day. I had a season where I would have these, this crazy recurring dream, and it was something I knew I had defeated. And I said, God, what am I going to do with this? Because I go to sleep. I'm like, you know. He goes, I want you to decree that over your sleep, you will only have dreams I send you. And if the enemy slips in to bring you another dream, you wake up immediately, and I will wake you up, and you tell it to be gone now in Jesus' name. Don't tolerate those infiltrations, not for a second. The teacher brings you into the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. You notice that? We. No one of us has the fullness of the mind of Christ. But when we come together to work together, to convene together, to share together, and this one has a piece of wisdom, this one has a piece of revelation, this one has a scripture, this one has an insight, this one has an experience, all of a sudden the mind of Christ comes together. The counsel of the Lord comes together. 
The teacher will search out truth. It will dig in. All of a sudden, they will be reading along, and God will highlight a verse. And all of a sudden, they're digging into the Hebrew. They're digging into the Greek. They're going to the next level. They're digging out the cross-references, and they're looking at what does God say in the midst of all of this. And they will not allow things that can't be confirmed by the Word of God to stand. They will search out truth when prophetic words come. Because let's get real, not every prophetic word that gets released is truth. And that's not to say somebody is a false prophet. Okay, hear me. False prophet has to do with motivation of the heart because we can all miss it. We're learning. We're growing. We're maturing. We're learning how to... If you think you have to have it all right all the time, you will never prophesy. You won't do it. You'll sit on the side and you'll go, well, did I hear God? Did I not hear God? Is that right? Well, I'm not sure. Did I say it right? And then you sit down after you've prophesied and you go, well, I really wish I didn't say it that way because I'm not sure that was clear. And we beat ourselves up and, and Father is going, hey, daughter, do you not think I can handle that? Now, that's not giving us permission to be lackadaisical, but you know the voice of God. And real quickly, if you're a mature saint, very quickly when you hear something, your ticker tape of the word of God can go, yep, 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 nope. Right? Because all of a sudden you can say, Holy Spirit, confirm this. Holy Spirit. And then you've got those that are in the house to test and prove. Don't be afraid of those in authority over you saying, that word isn't fully God, or that word is not in timing for now. Because a right word in a wrong time is a wrong word. It could be a very right word from God, but delivered in the wrong time or with the wrong motivation. If you deliver a word and you have a motivation that's not pure and holy, it's divination. And that's just witchcraft. And when you give a word, don't give a word that you're trying to prove you've got a word. I'm, gonna tell you, this, I'm on the teacher, but this was a teaching moment for me. I gave a word in a prayer meeting at a church one time, and I knew I'd heard God. And I got up to deliver it because I knew most of the people in the room didn't believe in prophecy but I had the freedom to give the word. So I gave the word, but I tried to explain the word as I gave the word. So the word was intermingled in there, but it had a bunch of Jackie around it. <laughs> I was learning. And the next morning, I get a call from the pastor. The elders and I have discerned that that wasn't a true word from God. Nobody wants to get that phone call. And I said... Okay, he said, what if you, you seek the Lord and find out what that was about? So I got off the phone and I spent the next several hours before the Lord and said, God, I know I heard you. What happened? What's wrong here? And he said, you intermingled your explanation of the word because you were afraid they wouldn't understand the word. 
just give what I say. And I learned a hard lesson that day. That was, the meeting had been on Friday night. This was on a Saturday. I walked into his office on Sunday morning, had written out the word as it was, handed him the word. He read it. He said, that's absolutely God, and we needed that word. But it took humility. I had to be teachable in that moment. And it was hard. I mean, come on. That's not a fun place to be. But the teacher in him, the apostolic grace in him, said, there's a gift in here worth restoring, worth developing. I'm not going to let it just go because I don't want to confront it. His love for me as a woman in his house said, I'm going to confront this so that she can grow and become what I see she can be. And for a leader, that's not an easy thing to do either. But it's necessary. It's one of the harder things to do, quite honestly. But see, it was a teacher coming out because it was saying, I'm going to rescue this gift. I'm going to, and then Holy Spirit said, I'm going to teach you what really happened here so that you can grow and mature and learn how to move in my, my gift for you. The teacher, when it's linked to the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the teacher, brings forth affirmation, confirmation, and it bring us into adapting and correcting to agree with biblical truth. Because everything that we've got to do has got to be lined up on the word of God. Then together we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We move in the oneness of the Spirit with a sound coming out that is pure and undivided. We're moving in that oneness, that unity, so that we're in harmony with each other and we can release what heaven is saying, moving out, advancing with the word of the Lord. We offensively charge against the enemy forces using the word as a weapon, and we do it when we're corporately armored with apostolic authority. And when apostolic authority is released, the enemy will be routed. We've tried to do a lot of things without the apostolic authority, without the authority of the fivefold functioning. We've had a lot of people wounded, lost, and scattered. But God is restoring to bring us back so we have the authority to advance. And I'm telling you right now in the world today, we need the authority to advance. We've got to have it. We move out fully armored to resist the enemy and advance against his diabolical schemes. You see any diabolical schemes? We need some strategies to know how to move forward together. We've got to go forward to set captives free. We bring them into the kingdom, but they've got to be set free. And sometimes they have to be, an area has to be set free so that the captives that are in an area can come into faith. That's where the spiritual warfare comes. That's where walking your neighborhood comes. You begin to walk your street and you war against the principalities and the powers that are binding and blinding the people that are in your neighborhood. In your family. 
so that they, they can be set free. That was Jesus' mandate. He said, I came to set the captives free. That should be ours as well. And we need to set some captives free that are in the house of God that are still operating in bondage. Deliverance and inner healing is a necessity. Yes, Christians can have demons. They can have anything they want. I'm letting that one settle in for a minute. I run into people all the time that say Christians can't have demons. Yeah, you can. Anything you want, you can have because you can leave it and allow it to stay in you. But get around some of us and we'll kick it out. Fully armored to bring in a harvest of disciples, not just converts. Those that will be matured. Fully armored to raise up mature leaders that will transform culture, transform society around us to look more like the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God come, will of God be on earth as it is in heaven. The fivefold laying the foundation for the building for the enduring ecclesia function in the earth, that we as the ecclesia begin to declare and decree what heaven is saying into earth and see it established. See, as ecclesia, we declare and decree a thing, and then we move out with strategies to see it implemented in the earth. It's one thing for us to declare and decree it, but in the fivefold apostolic releasing, we then go out to implement. We've been doing a lot of declarations and decrees. It's time to start some implementation. And that's not just a word for this house. It's for the region, for all of us. So the corporate armor and the fivefold ministry is preparing and protection for war, laying foundations for building and advancement, and equipping for growth and maturity. That is what God is wanting in his church today. So that we might be who he originally intended us to be. To do what he called us to do. And to bring his kingdom on earth. Even as it is in heaven. And we are so excited. This just makes me. I can see it. See I believe many of us have been in the church for a lot of years. Some are new but a lot have been here for years. And I remember as a 15-year-old saying, God, if this is all the church is, because I was reading the Bible, and I was looking like, we're not doing what they did. We don't look like they did. We're not having as much fun as they did. I mean, come on. Following Christ is fun. Full of adventures. I mean, amazing. I said, but if this is... All there is to church, I don't want it. And he said, no, I'm restoring what I originally intended. And we are in a season of rapid restoration. So, Father, I thank you that you are releasing rapid restoration into this territory. Rapid restoration of the fullness of your ecclesia of your fivefold ministry of your armor that there will be mighty advancement in Jesus name amen